This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Valeria interviews Pavlina Fedakova, the author of Transitioning, From Stressed and Depressed to Happy, Healthy, and Free in Nine Steps. Pavlina is an international life coach, healer, and spiritual mentor. She is passionate about chakra healing, kundalini dancing, meditation, healthy eating, chasing the eternal sunshine, experiencing other cultures and customs, and advocating conscious sex education to prevent sexual assaults. Pavlina believes that with a few tweaks to our lifestyle and environment, we can improve our physical well-being and thus uplift our mindset. Anxiety and stress may linger on, but happiness, health, and more freedom is yours to claim from within. In her ebook, Transitioning, she guides readers through nine steps towards unshakable mental health, resiliency, and positive attitude for life. Meet Pavlina at lovelifeanew.com. Here is the interview with Pavlina Fedakova. In your own words, who is Pavlina Fedakova? She is someone that's been through a lot of things and um, she survived and thrived and is still thriving. And now she feels that she has learned valuable things that she just must share. Otherwise, she's robbing people of more joy and more peace and more love. Thank you. That's wonderful. A wonderful statement. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, transitioning from stressed and depressed to happy, healthy, and free in nine steps, I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. The first one for you had to be this one. What is to transform, Pavelina? So to transform for me is to see a tangible difference between who you used to be and which were, that was making you miserable and then uh, transitioning into the best version of yourself where you yourself and of course the people in your surroundings can see that you've absolutely transformed. But it's almost like it's just always been there right in front of your eyes and you were just living a lie and that was not serving you was not serving anyone and one day you woke up and you felt 
enough. I'm going to step into my full power and I'm going to step into my life authentically. So that's a transformation for me. That sounds really great and resonates. I'm wondering what keeps us living that lie. What are the obstacles to transformation? That's a really good question because um, it does vary, but I I believe that it's still living in fear that we are being constantly watched and judged and we have to live a certain way. So perhaps following someone else's rules and thinking that we are unworthy of a good life, of change and caring too much about what other people think. And then that's when we perpetuate the lie that's supposed to be perhaps even good for us, but um, it, it just doesn't feel right. Do you believe that the path of transformation is also a practice of unlearning? Yes, absolutely. Unlearning uh, a lot of the uh, societal conditioning and also what we as children have heard in our families and at school. And it really brought us down. And then we started to believe it. And yeah, and now we have to unlearn it and find who we really are and who we want to become. And then really staying true to the new image of ourselves mm, yes and why not right because the new found us is so much joyful and it's such a better place to be do you think it's possible to go back once we are at that level of being transformed could we still go back to what we used to be is that a possibility I'd say that if we do, we are still in the process of uh, mm. transitioning. And that may take a long time, you know, to fully bridge the gap or take the leap. People shouldn't expect that they are going to make massive changes in their life overnight or even, you know, in, in the course of a year. Because uh, if we have learned in our childhood to be a certain way, to please other people or to not shine, then, you know, in our adulthood, when we finally have enough, then that is going to take a while to just stop listening to others and start listening to your own heart and that inner voice telling you uh, what to do next. And that may take years. So during those years, it is absolutely crucial to have a compassion for yourself and be very forgiving because, yes, it is possible to, to slip back into self-sabotaging patterns and uh, dysfunctional behavior because, you know, we're only human beings and we want to run away from pain. And I found that regarding depression, it is all about escaping pain in the wrong ways, you know, in the worst ways possible. Yes, we are bound to make mistakes on our way to um, healthier and happier life. Wonderful answer. I love your answer. I love your wisdom already. <laughs> we just got started. Thank you. So my next question is about life itself. What do you think this is? Yeah, this, because I don't even have a name for it. We call it life. But <laughs> what is it? <laughs> it is indeed what we make it. 
there are plenty of people who will tell you that, you know, life is a constant struggle and that life is miserable and at the end we're all going to die. <laughs> that could be true. And certainly even for me, there were um, even years when I kind of thought that my ordeal was to bear a really difficult, complicated life. But then once I woke up and I started to make really important changes and started to work on my mindset, I realized that I can make a really good life for myself. And even when I perhaps cannot label what exactly my life is about and what I came here to do, I just knew that I'm going to strive for living more in the light than in the dark while still not denying the dark. And I guess like living in harmony with the miserable parts that, you know, we still encounter uh, throughout our day and with certain things that could be uh, rather challenging. However, we have to take it not too seriously and not to get affected by it to the point that we start to generalize that life is a misery and struggling. Yeah, I agree. This idea, sometimes we tend to think in extremes, life is wonderful, life is the opposite, miserable yeah. and not worth living and all that. I love that word you used, harmony. And I often think about balance too. Do you connect harmony to balance? Mm, yes, I do. And I guess getting away from the duality and seeing everything just black or white. So harmony with all there is. And yes, having a balance because and now we can, uh, that kind of brings me to the subject of nutrition, let's say. Uh, there are so many diets out there and I do believe that what we put in our bodies affects our thinking and our feeling and then our acting and certain foods may cause inflammation and certain foods may uh, offset inflammation. But at the same time, how possible is it to stick only to a clean diet it's very hard so. and uh, <laughs> and i can do it for you know few weeks perhaps at most but then you know one day i'm going to have that bread i'm going to have that biscuit and maybe even milk in something that i eat but uh, yeah balance is to include these foods that are available to us and perhaps not completely healthy, but uh, it makes life livable if we just accept that we cannot eat only vegetables all the time. But some people do. There's some people who have amazing self-discipline. However, you can find that they're also very strict on themselves and a little bit rigid and perhaps don't really have too much compassion for people who are not that way. I love this idea of embracing it all and uh, no judgment, not trying to push away anything. When it comes, if we cannot make a better choice at that moment, it's okay too. It's part of life, it's part of the path, right? As Louise Hay said, the late Louise Hay said, that the best 
diet out there is diet free of negative thoughts. Mm, and I right. think that that's right. Absolutely right. Because it's the thoughts that poison us more than a piece of chocolate, you know, or a bit sugar. Well said, Pavelina. So true. Yeah. Negative thoughts and judgment is one of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So thank Do you think it's possible to achieve that? state of mind of being of non-judgment? Hmm. <laughs> That's a very good question too. Well, we are always going to judge whether, you know, certain things or situations or people are good for us or not. It's possible not to judge in a way that we completely dismiss uh, certain opinions or uh, people or diet, I think we should evaluate one way or another. We should evaluate whether what's being presented to us is is serving us, it's making us feel um, ourselves and, and healthy, or whether it's going to hinder our health, hinder our success, then um, I believe that some judgment is is healthy and it's part of life. I don't like when people completely dismiss someone else's opinion if they uh, don't find it uh, worthy, smart enough, or just in alignment with their values. Mm, Yes, yeah. Going back to the negative, uh, if it goes that way, then it's not serving us. I, I agree. Mm. Not ourselves and not other people or the world. So that would make sense. What do you think is the purpose of life, ultimately, the human experience? If there is just one purpose of the human life, then uh, I hope <laughs> that it is to, to learn to love unconditionally to forgive and find gratitude for the little things that we have and to serve but serve with boundaries which I'm also talking about in my book because these days and it could be influenced by some religions out there we serve on the account of our own uh, satisfaction and happiness By that I mean that we give too much and we don't allow ourselves to receive anything back and we think that what we do is uh, noble, that it's for higher cause and uh, it's, it's necessary and that is true. But I think that people die when they just overgive, when they forget about themselves and focus on uh, on serving and sometimes even to the wrong people out there who don't appreciate that service. So I stress that um, while life of service is definitely gratifying and I know that I am very happy when I can be of service and of help and I can inspire and I can lead others out of their misery, I also know that I have to protect myself from other people's dramas to a certain degree too and keep cleansing my my energy and taking the regular time off just to be and recharge. So there's a fine line between serving and just burning out. So true. I love the way you connected 
the purpose of life to unconditional love. And I have this question here for later, but I'll ask you now, what is love to you? What is your understanding of the word love? I've been wondering myself lately more than ever. <laughs> love is acceptance of people the way they are, of life the way it is, and of all the conditions that we found ourselves in. And then just believing that whatever is happening, even if we think that love hurts, that it is unfolding exactly as it should be and that love should always lift us up. And so I come to love regularly when I find myself caught up in negative thinking and and in too much fear. And as you know, just fear is inevitable and it comes and goes. And sometimes we fear, we, we feel very brave and like we can just tackle any situation and we can get over anything. But then it comes again. Next day we wake up and again we're we're fearful, we're anxious and we're turning away from love. So love to me is like a refuge that I just have to visualize uh, a feeling of safety. And then I know that I'm back in love and I can start manifesting from the place of love rather than from fear. But then I don't want to, again, just say that there are only uh, love and fear and and nothing in between and that fear is wrong because, you know, fear is also here to protect us. So, Right. Do you believe in unconditional self-love? Even if I didn't, I know that I have to. I must. <laughs> That's something, you know, that uh, have helped me heal. And I now believe that it's the foundation for just everything in life. Unconditional, radical self-love. And I, if I had one regret in life, and I know that you might ask me that later on, <laughs> right. it would be, you know, not loving myself a lot sooner, a lot earlier. Yeah. And then goes back to the beautiful meaning or definition for love that you gave about accepting everything as it is and also as it happened. Everything just the way it unfolded too, not just unfolds, but unfolded. Yeah. And then we go back to unconditional love and self-love. That's the way I see it. So what do you love most about being a woman? I love my sensitivity and I think that has not always been so I always thought that you know being quite emotional and receptive to what's going on around me and being easily affected by other people's emotions and their troubles that it was a curse that I just felt everything so much and now I'm convinced that you know this is the the start of depression when we don't like what we feel when we try to numb ourselves and when we uh, don't like the fact and especially as women that we can be so sensitive and feel um, emotions so deeply so it does get easier once we accept this as well because I think it's a gift of perhaps all the women out there, that we are in touch with our intuition, with our instincts, and even men, they are 
sensitive also, of course, but they are a bit more skilled at uh, masking that, at, you know, shunning it down and just not believing their feelings and their emotions. But women, we are quite knowledgeable in this because you know we used to be called witches and whatnot and we know that uh, we were giving a very strong motherly instinct as well and we can use that as as a gift that we just know what's going on within us and also inside other people it's a gift yeah, you speak for all of us for sure. <laughs> well, most of us, I think, um, yeah, most women, they feel that's how they navigate yeah, this life. So my other question about being a woman is, what is the most challenging aspect about being a woman? I think that it is my capacity to love anyone and anything, even though it's not good for me. And... Uh, just knowing that I could, I can easily fall in love and I can just get so excited about other people and seeing them in their true potential. But then, you know, they don't live up to it. But I, I, I have the capacity to forgive and just be loving and open and receptive. So I, I think it, that's the best feeling when I know that I embody my feminine essence by being receptive and also passionate about life, you know, just being with life and flowing and enjoying my body rather than staying stuck in my mind and in overthinking because that's when I know that I'm, I'm, I'm leaving my feminine essence in order to keep up with this modern, rather masculine world where analyzing and calculating and objectivity and less emotionality is definitely praised over emotionality, sensitivity, intuition, and staying in the body and in, in, in a passive state of receiving. So that's not that much celebrated in this world at the moment. I think it might change soon. Uh, yes, a thousand times to that. Do you think that this is changing? Do you see the change somehow? I see it because I consciously seek like-minded people and I, uh, especially when I used to live in Australia, I would be crazy about dancing as a form of conscious movement meditation. So I would go to places where we would be um, dancing ourselves to higher <laughs> consciousness and, and uh, just sort of a trance, of course, without any drugs or psychedelics, but just by giving the body free reign and just letting it move without any structure, any steps, and seeing it for ourselves that it was the best form of therapy, you know, just a movement and feeling and breathing and staying with the tribal beats and letting it just permeate the body and, and heal it and align it. And that gives you such a clarity of mind that there's no other way that you would just want to like do something um, to, to sabotage yourself right afterwards. 
And you know that movement is is the best thing we can do for our body anyway. And and dance is a very feminine style of movement rather than going to the gym and lifting weights, which is awesome as well, of course. But uh, I think in the female body, we, we need to feel a lot of freedom. So dance gives me that, and I and I seek people who who feel the same way. And so, and there are a lot of us. There there are many spiritual people out there who really celebrate the fact that the future is female. So yes, I do see it in my surroundings. And speaking of freedom, what is to be free? What is freedom to you, Pavelina? Yes, that's right. I included uh, more free in the title of my book as well. So to be free and have more freedom in life is to connect to your deeper desires and try meeting them in ways that feel good to you, that may be in opposition to what you've learned uh, at school or in your family that you should do for freedom. Let's say get an amazingly paid job so you could be financially free. That's one form of freedom as well. And, you know, everyone like, loves money. But if that comes the account of working your ass off, if I say it like mm-hmm. that, in a, in a job that, you know, doesn't bring you any joy, then I don't believe that's freedom. That's slavery. And it is going to take its toll on the body. So and that again, you know, when the body is not functioning at its best, then you are definitely not free. There are many conditions that, you know, were triggered by stress and and they manifested in the body, let's say like painful back or neck pain. And then, you know, when you feel tension in the body, then you cannot feel free in your mind either so just listening to to your deeper desires and usually it is not more money it is really more love more joy more freedom more time for what matters to you and you know going for a walk in nature is free and that's going to give you a sense of freedom anyway so just also, it's all about balance, coming back to the word we said at the beginning. So finding balance in what's free without or what's freedom for you without being too loose and too lost. <laughs> True. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it is, it goes back to balance. That's such an interesting word, harmony, balance, right? Hmm. I have one more question for you, the warm-up questions, and then we'll talk um, more specifically about your book, your work. What, where, and who is God to you? I truly believe that God is within. And because it's very, very hard to to access it at all times, then uh, I think that we have to ask the divine, which is in and also around us, for help to bring the godlike qualities in us, bring it out of us. While God is many things and perhaps everything out there, I think that we have direct access 
to it inside of us. And I frequently pray to angels and archangels and, and the spirit and, and the ascendant masters and my guides to access the deeper truth in me that is godlike. And that is most likely that unconditional love we discussed earlier and forgiveness and acceptance. But I admit that I need help from the outside supernatural or natural or divine unseen forces out there in order to to access what's within me. So about your work, my first question had to be this one. How did you become a writer? Oh, so when I was nine years old, my sister gave me a beautiful diary with a little padlock on it. And I'm not sure if she knows herself that that was what got me writing like nearly every day, my thoughts on paper and my hopes, my wishes, my fears, and just journaling. And it's funny because I was always addressing it to someone. I always started like, you know, dear diary or <laughs> hello there again. And uh, just thinking that I was communing with something or someone and sharing what I thought I couldn't share with anyone else. And that has become an incredible form of therapy, even at that young little age. And uh, I just continued until now. I, you know, I'm 33 now and I've been still sharing my deepest thoughts with the paper. <laughs> and now I use the laptop to, to write it down and because it's, I guess, longer lasting. Right. It's an amazing experience, isn't it, Pavelina? Writing. What was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, Transitioning? I love that word. Thank you for asking. Well, I have been through quite a difficult time a few years ago when I was getting off of prescription medication for depression and anxiety disorder. And I knew that that wasn't my destiny. My, my path wasn't to numb myself with chemical drugs and and, you know, finding peace that way because I didn't feel anything, even even little joys. So I believe we cannot selectively numb only the negative emotions and then keep the good ones because that's, again, that's not really a balanced uh, way of, of living this colorful life. And so I was young, I was 23, and uh, I had seen it long coming because of the lifestyle that I adopted in order to deal with my turbulent emotions and with all the outside world challenges. And I realized that it was to not feel so sensitive. And then when I took my first exotic trip, something like Eat, Pray, Love, but I just chose uh Thailand, Bali, and Ireland out of all the possible places to go to. And that's where 
for the first time and I was already off the prescription medication, but not happy and still, uh, you know, having other numbing ways, ways like um, abusing alcohol and other things. So when I went to Thailand, I experienced for the first time moments of deep gratitude for my life, for where I came from, for my strict parents and the broken home and uh, even, you know, the past teasing at school when I was growing up and just started to accept everything and being grateful for the lessons and and just knowing that it was completely within my control how I choose to to live next, that I don't have to be broken that no matter what happened to me, I can still, I can get up, dust off and continue and thrive. So in Thailand and Bali, I was just feeling like everything there was magically aligned to bring me back to life. And I knew that I would not go back to my self-sabotaging ways again. And, you know, well, in my late 20s, I would still get drunk sometimes at some party or something, it would have been definitely very different to what I used to do to my body and my mind in my early 20s. So after I came back to Europe and I spent one month on the farm in Ireland, which was also an amazing uh, therapy for my uh, still lingering depression and anxiety. So I just wanted to go back to basic, but Again, that transitioning period took a few years before I have um, settled on some simple ways to to restore my health and well-being. And then when I thought that I bridged the gap, I thought that I had to share my story. And it's always been really hard for me to share my struggles, except with my diary. So I I had an idea that if perhaps I would publish an ebook and made it available on my website and not talk about it too much because I was still feeling a little bit ashamed about admitting to my own personal struggles, then the right people would stumble upon it and hopefully it would help them to, to make less mistakes than I have done during the transitioning period. This is what you talked about earlier about the purpose of life to be a service. And it's beautifully done when we can help ourselves and others at the same time. I have a few questions here for you before we talk about the nine steps to take toward more happiness, health, and freedom. Let me ask you this question. What is your idea or understanding as well of um, self-discipline and self-control? Yeah, it's definitely quite a difficult skill for me still to it just never came quite naturally however there were areas in my life where I would be very assertive and I would have no problem saying no to certain temptations however when it came to uh, my stubbornness and the the strange desire to rebel just to prove a point 
then I would not be very disciplined because I would be focusing on approving someone wrong or just rebelling. But then when I realized that by that I am uh, damaging myself, then uh, adopting self-discipline became a way to keep myself above the water and just, you know, doing it for me. So uh, I say in my book that living in the moment can be taken as an excuse for overdoing things, for exaggerating whatever we think uh, bring us joy. Like, yes, drinking alcohol is one of those things because we think that we celebrate that, you know, one drink doesn't hurt us, that other people drink, so let's drink. But I think deep down we know that just too much alcohol or even just regular small amounts of alcohol are not necessary. And and then they hinder our progress in other areas of our life. We get more tired, we don't want to exercise. And again, is a tool to escape our pain. And that is very tricky. So self-discipline must be definitely installed, especially when we are not feeling so good about our life or a certain situation and we are stressed. In that case, you know, do not reach for the quick fix. Just really do something that yields long-term results. And you might not see the result immediately. There's no immediate gratification, but you know that it's just sustainable and it's healthy. So self-discipline comes when you know that you just have to act in alignment with your deeper desire to be healthy, happy and free. And also we are not quite free when we are dependent on a substance or on on a certain activity like you know even running can get so addictive that people just use it to escape their thoughts do you think that we can replace these words self-discipline and self-control with self-awareness yes definitely self-awareness and uh, listening to the body because while i didn't mean to say that running as a form of movement, as a form of exercise is wrong. No, because really any any movement that gets the heart going and and switches on the lymphatic system and energizes you is absolutely right for you. But uh, regarding self-awareness, I think it's better to to sit down with your negative feelings first and and meditate on that rather than trying to quickly dismiss these thoughts by any kind of activity, just so you don't think about it and you're not aware. And I think that then that is moving away from self-discipline because you see, there's um, like you can be self-disciplined and go to the gym every day. That's great. But if you don't exercise self-awareness and instead of that, you go to kill yourself in the gym, you're a bit, that's a bit counterproductive as well. Yeah, I agree. The idea of escaping, yeah, anything that has to do with escaping emotions, that means we're not aware enough of what the emotions are trying to tell us because it's all messengers. Somebody said that to me the other day. Emotions are messengers. That's true. When you think about it, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
So talk to me about the nine steps. Perhaps you don't want to disclose all of them. I love the way you outlined them, and I have some of them that caught my attention here. The first one's a very interesting one, and I love what you said. So the first one is leave, tweak, or leave. Mm-hmm. A change starts with this first step, to leave where you don't belong. That's a powerful sentence. Talk to me about that, Pavolina. So the first step is to trigger transition. And that means that you have to stop doing what you've been doing so far and what's making you miserable. That comes back to the Einstein, the theory of insanity. Mm. That's doing the same thing all over again and expecting a different result. It's just not going to happen, you know, where you keep digging for treasure and there's only overwhelming pain, you are going to hurt yourself. Many people hope for a miracle in a a bad relationship, in a toxic job, in uh, anything that they've been doing for so long that they got used to it, they got accustomed to it, and they think that there is a certain safety and security. But at the same time, it's been really bringing them down and and they don't feel happy even though they may feel like it's familiar and and safe they are they are suffering to leave is to be brave enough to to try something different no matter what it is just taking the first step and keeping at it they say that uh, for a change to implement you need at least three weeks 21 days so, you know, not giving up at the first challenge because there will be challenges, but uh, really just packing your bags and go. Mm-hmm. I love that idea. Yeah, this is a powerful practice if we can do that on a daily basis, <laughs> try to leave, abandon some of our old thoughts and patterns and habits. Right. I'm wondering how can we apply this to our daily lives. It seems so simple, but it's not easy, right, Pavelina, to change. Well, definitely, yes. I can say from my own experience that I have stayed uh, too long uh, in places and with people that I just, you know, shouldn't have, but it doesn't matter. I accept that it just was taking me an X amount of time to reach enough leverage and then just say no. I am choosing my own self, my own well-being, and coming back to radical (laughs) self-love. Yes, I agree. Radical self-love, that's an interesting term. (laughs) So the next one, talk to me for a moment about make peace with the past, forgive. I love the phrase you say, take responsibility for everything you've done. I love the idea of taking responsibility. So that's the phrase that caught my attention. Yes. So the second step is all about uh, releasing old grudges and resentments and also accepting that you may have erred as well, that it wasn't only the other people who have set you on a path of misery and struggle 
but it was also you yourself who perpetuated that path and the way of life. And then releasing guilt and shame because that I think goes hand in hand and it can keep us, keep us stuck in a, in a loop where we don't know anymore, you know, who was wrong, who was right and just it's easier to blame others or blame certain circumstances, which, you know, could be absolutely valid. And it is valid, you know, like I have to say that um, my life could have been very different if my parents were a little more non-judgmental, a little more affectionate and da-da-da-da-da. But they weren't. And, you know, they gave me certain challenges to, to grow up with. However, once I reach a point where I could think for myself and make better choices for myself, no one was taking me by the hand and led me to trouble. It was just me. And then we have to stop the vicious cycle of sabotaging ourselves. And that involves self-forgiveness more than anything as well. Right. That's profound wisdom. I'm sure you know that. That's so true. Taking responsibility. Yeah, it's hard at first. Yeah, it is. It is. You're right, Pavelina. This is a practice. It's funny because we have that understanding, but sometimes we attempt to uh, blame others still in the world and life itself and all that. What do you call drama? <laughs> Which is part of life too. It's a dance. I choose not to dance. Sometimes we can get caught up in the dance floor. <laughs> Absolutely. (laughs) And I think that, you know, in that case, the sooner we notice what we're doing, then it's very easy to offset the damage and hopefully not hurt anyone in the process of us self-reflecting and taking the responsibility. But yes, it does happen that we think that, you know, say we didn't get a promotion because of someone, because of our colleague or something like that. But then we have to stop blaming everyone else and just accept it the way it is. No one needs to uh, take the blame. Mm -hmm. Actually, it doesn't even have to be us. It's just what happened. Just we didn't get the promotion. Let's just like stop wallowing in it. Right. And it's such a empowered state to be, isn't it? When we take, okay, it's my choice to not blame anyone and just take responsibility, do what I can to change the situation. That's so empowering to me. It feels that way. Yes. You're right. Taking the power back, whether it's, you know, from the people who hurt us or a situation that we hadn't quite handled. So, yeah, definitely. It's very empowering. Thank you for reminding. Oh, yeah. I'm reminding myself, actually, (laughs) to talking to you, talking to me at the same time. It's funny, like everything is just a a reflection. It's this beautiful, magnificent, universal dance. So we're almost at the end, and you have so many other amazing points that we have discussed before briefly. Trust in yourself. You talk about finding your voice. I love that one, too. Exercise, of course. Stay away from alcohol. Coffee. That was, like, interesting. I don't drink coffee and for a reason. So I see that you mentioned that here. And then meditation. The last one beautifully said, seek the company of God, universe, nature, something larger than you. 
And then then you, it looks like a thank you. I just noticed that. Being More grateful. Like yeah. Thank you. Yeah, the last then you, uh, for some reason, the way you uh -huh. wrote that, it's like a, a gratitude note almost, being thankful. Yes, gratitude is definitely a big component to to healing and bridging the gap from where you thought that, you know, nothing was going right, nothing was going the way you wanted to go and casting blame onto other people and then just realizing that at first you have to be grateful for those lessons, for, for that pain, for these people who triggered you beyond belief and uh, finding peace and just already looking forward to what's next because you believe that it can only get better from there. Mm. And gratitude is that the missing link, mm. I believe. I have some final questions here for you, but before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? I will say that never ever think that you're stuck. There's always hope. You can still make improvements in your life to feel free, happy, and healthy. With that attitude, humans did do and will always figure things out. As my mentor, Marie Forleo, says, everything is figureoutable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's cute <laughs> and true. So true. What is another word for healing? Another word for healing is to... Say goodbye to all the burdens that you carry and that make you heavy and sluggish and feeling like you lost control. Taking your power back and taking your well-being right back because I believe it's a human right to, to feel good. So healing would be perhaps another word is to take your power back. That's definitely a healing component. <laughs> For sure. Stop being the victim of something. Yeah, and that might be the biggest lesson for all of us. Yeah, the biggest practice. It feels very much like everyone that I talk to, they are on that path, practicing this component. I have two more questions. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? I think that I finally reached a point where I think that I I have loved and I have forgiven. I've found my inner peace and gratitude for everything that I have. So I suppose that I, it would be just all right. But I hope that whoever is in charge of, of my uh, life on this earth, then that, you know, they will keep me here for a little bit longer. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. Yeah, so you do love the journey here. I often ask the question, what is the opposite of life? I ask some of my guests, and, mm -hmm. and some of them say, there's no opposite. There's just life. Everything's life. There's no death. I, I truly believe that, yes, the opposite of life is not death, because I also believe in afterlife and in complete like uh, enlightenment. After our uh, human body dies, then the soul finally gets it all. Or at least that's how I'm imagining it. You know, like finally I will be like, ah, oh, right. This epiphany, you know, that everything 
made sense. And so that's probably, that cannot be death. So the opposite of life must be not reaching your true potential when you can and just surviving and coping with what you think is your ordeal and suffering nearly on purpose or out of laziness to change. So that's opposite of life, to become really complacent and not grow spiritually. That's Your voice is the voice of a lot of people that I talk to. (laughs) Yeah, they say the same thing too. How wonderful. How we are all connected (laughs) with certain truth. So my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? So one thing is to stop running. Stop running from uh, responsibilities, from, from people, from intimacy, from myself and uh, just embracing the the messy emotions. And second thing is that life is meant to be colorful. And if if we judge certain ways, certain religions, certain cultures, then we don't fully appreciate of what this life is and could be for for other people, because you know, my way and the fact that I'm very spiritual and I believe that God is within us, even though I also believe that there is something larger than us. But then again, that could be the realm of, of angels or spirit guides. Not many people share the same belief. And I don't, uh, I don't blame them. I don't think that they're delusional because that's probably what they think about me, but I don't care. So I believe that it's wonderful that we have this variety of just diff- different cultures and yeah, different bodies as well. You know, I like that we're, we don't look the same. I'm still thinking about a third one. And the third thing that I know about life is that no matter what happens, we cannot become bitter because it's really, really easy to then start generalizing that, you know, men are a certain way and they will always hurt you or cheat on you and things like that. But always knowing that this is something that, you know, maybe our mothers and grandmothers were were telling us, but we're free to to see for ourselves and that means opening our eyes to what we want to create in the world rather than what other people tell us is in the world but I think that we create our own reality and if that's the case then why would we make it bitter by you know some some bad stuff that has happened in the past it doesn't equal the future I think it was Wayne Dyer who said that the past doesn't equal the future and and I like that saying I keep reminding myself whenever I have a uh, like a bad feeling that something will turn out the same way it it used to but um, then again the definition of insanity if something is turning out the same way each and every time then that's probably the wrong place to be but yes we can make our life very sweet it doesn't have to Thank you so much for your wisdom, your presence, the spiritually fun conversation. 
And I do have one more question for you, but this is a technical one. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? So currently, I have a website called lovelifeanew.com, but I'm thinking of creating a website with my full name with pavlinafedakova.com. Uh, but my books and services are available on lovelifeanew.com. And also I'm on Facebook and on Instagram. You'll find me as Pavlina Lioness because obviously I used to be very wild. So I thought I have to put it in my name as well. So on Instagram, I'm Pavlina Lioness and I share bits and pieces of my wisdom and sometimes a pretty picture, but mostly I just watch a lot of recipes and, and food on Instagram. Fun. Thank you so much again, Pavelina, and we'll talk soon. Thank you very much, Valeria. I, I had fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Pavlina Fedakova and her work, please visit lovelifeanew.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening and bye for now. Mm-hmm.